We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning, if you want to turn there. Luke chapter 1. As we begin um, looking at some different uh, characters in what we call the Christmas story in God's, uh, God's revelation of Himself to us. We're going to look at uh, Zacharias this morning. Next week, we're going to look at uh, Caesar Augustus. Then the week after that, the kids are going to help us look at the shepherds and teach us a few things about their role in, uh, in the coming of the Messiah. And then the Sunday before Christmas, we're going to look at Simeon. We're going to jump the gun. Christ will have been born, but it won't quite be Christmas here, but that's okay. Help us to get a, a glimpse of what's, what's going on in that process. How many of you know the story of Christmas? You know the story of Christmas? If someone, maybe an alien, came down and observed the way Americans did Christmas, would you be able to tell them the story and set them right? Do you know the story of Christmas well enough to communicate it to someone? And I would say that's... Very important for us as individuals and as a church, those of us who call ourselves believers. But there's a more important question than just, do you know the story? The more important question is, are you part of the story? See, there's a lot of stories that I know that I'm not a part of, especially fiction stories. I can't be a part of those. But there are some real stories that I know that I have nothing to do with, that I have no part of. I know the story of Alexander the Great. I know how he came to power. I know uh, what he did over the course of his uh, short lifetime between coming to power and when he died and, and that whole process. But I have nothing to do with that story. A little closer to home, I, I know the story of one of my ancestors and how they came to Texas in a wagon train and that, how that whole thing transpired and how God was a part of that. But that story's over. I have nothing to do with that particular story. But there is a story that continues. The story of Christ. The message of Christmas didn't just stop at the end of Luke's account or the end of Matthew's account. It continues on because the meaning of Christmas, the message of Christmas, continues. It's still active. It's still relevant to you. It's still relevant to me. It's a message that I've repeated before and will continue to repeat every Christmas. It's a good reminder to me. The message of Christmas is that God intervenes in the lives of men according to His promises so that the nations will be blessed. God intervenes in the lives of men according to His promises for the purpose or so that the nations will be blessed. That was the meaning of Christmas, and that hasn't changed. God is still in the process of intervening in your life and my life according to that promise which He has consistently made through time so that the nations will be blessed, so that through you and I, through the way we take part in that message, Tell others about His Son. 
That's how the nations are blessed. They, they come to know the Son by faith and through that receive eternal life. The problem is there are things that keep us from being a part of that message, that keep us from sharing the meaning of Christmas. One of those things is doubt. Doubt sort of creeps into our lives because as life unfolds, we begin to think, does God really care about me? I mean, okay, I know He cares, but does He care about me personally? Is He really involved in in my life right now, right here? And can He fix the mess that I've made? Have I gone beyond Him intervening because I've thumbed my nose at Him too many times or I've ignored Him too many times? And so doubt sort of just creeps in. We're going to look at a story this morning that helps us maybe cope with that doubt. Look at the story of Zacharias. Phil read, Phil read the end of that story. This has, a, this has a good ending. There's good news at the end. But we need to figure out how he got there because that's not how he started. Zacharias began this journey with doubt. And along the way, he learned to trust in God, and that trust led to a proclamation, the proclamation that Phil read of the coming of the Messiah. So I'm going to start reading in in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, and see if we can find some hope this morning to help us trust and proclaim. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Let me pray for us, and we'll continue to look at God's Word together. Father, thank You for this morning. God, thank you that because of the gift that we are beginning to celebrate, we have the opportunity to come into your presence with confidence and boldness. But God, we confess it is only because of what you have done for us through the blood of your Son that we can do that. So, Father, we ask that you would this morning speak to our hearts and our minds, and ultimately you'd speak to our wills that we might, that we might serve you in trust and in confidence and in love. God, we pray, um, especially this morning, for uh, just a few folks that, that need your touch. Pray for the Sparks and especially for Crystal's mom, that you would bring healing, that you would give her opportunities to, um, to share your love with, with her family. We pray for Molly tomorrow. She undergo surgery for wisdom and skill for the doctors, that they would be able to, to ascertain and... and, and Help her to be, be returned to health. Pray for Shelly, God, as she uh, moves to a, a new chapter of her life. And we pray that you would surround her with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you would provide for her a place to worship and, and continue to grow uh, in her grace and, and knowledge of you. And God, for each one here, I pray that your hand would touch this morning, that you would speak to us, reveal yourself to us. 
that we might be encouraged and challenged to proclaim your word to the nations. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You read the first two verses of this story and you think, now this is the kind of couple that, that have everything going for them. Both of them could trace their lineage back to Aaron. The first priest, the one that, that God set apart to, to intervene between him and the people, to, to come before him on behalf of the people. The text says they're righteous, they're blameless. They've got everything going for them. And then we read verse 7. But they had no child. Elizabeth was barren and and they were both advanced in years. Not only had they no child, they really had no chance for one. And all the wonderful things that are said about them in verses 5 and 6 kind of seem to be undone in verse 7. Because in that culture, in that day... Not only are our doubts swirling in their head, God, if we really are righteous and blameless, if we really are the people that we're supposed to be, priests, then why are we not blessed with children? In that culture, that was an important part of, of God's blessings. It had been from long, long ago, God blesses you with children. And if not the own doubts in their own head, they heard the whispers, they saw the stares. God really loved them. If, if, they, if He really was a good priest, surely they would have kids. Elizabeth herself felt, as, as she talks later, she said, my disgrace has been taken away. She felt and knew and experienced, not only in her own mind, but in the people around her, disgrace. And so despite the glowing resume we get in 5 and 6... How can we not have doubts? And you know what that's like. Oh, maybe you you don't know exactly what it means to... Maybe you wouldn't say, I just don't believe. But maybe your expectations about what God's going to do have been lowered. Maybe you look around and say, yeah, you know, if He really needs to, God will intervene. God will will come and rescue. God will show up. But I just don't expect a whole lot. But then we read in verse 8 that that God does show up. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. 
It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. A weird mixture of, of doubt and faith in this man, Zacharias. The angel shows up and said, Your petitions have been heard. In the midst of his unbelief, he was still praying. Praying for a son. Was it just because that's what he felt like he was supposed to do? Had it just become that prayer that he prayed every morning and just kind of had become rote? And he was doing because he's supposed to do it? <laughs> and then when God shows up and answers his prayer, it's like, I don't, I don't believe that. This, this odd mixture of faith and doubt. Have you ever been surprised when God answered a prayer? Wow, I can't believe He did that. Well, haven't you been praying for that? Yeah, but I never expected, right? Sometimes, sometimes we too can just get in the habit of praying. Not really thinking maybe that God's actually going to answer those prayers. Not going to show up. And he doesn't really grasp hold of that promise with belief. The angel says, because you didn't believe. He was amazed. He was maybe this mixture of joy and gladness, but I, I just don't... My expectations were so low that you caught me off guard, God. <laughs> and he finds himself unable to speak. How will I know, he says. You see, we like Zacharias want assurance. We want confidence. And God deals in mysteries. We want assurance. We want confidence. We want promises we can grab hold of. And our God deals in mysteries. He's done that from the beginning and he calls us to trust but He's given us over and over and over again examples of His faithfulness. So when things seem mysterious, we, we still can hold on to trust. You see, even when we're not aware, God is always up to something. See, I imagine that Zacharias and Elizabeth had this picture in their mind of what it would be like to have a son. I'll make his clothes. In fact, I'll make the first clothes that he wears when he enters into the priesthood because the son of a priest, he's going to become a priest. Zacharias probably had visions of teaching him about God's wonder and His law and the good things that he's always done. 
they had a picture in their mind, but sometimes when, when things don't go our way, our pictures kind of become too small. Would he ever have thought that the son would, would be like Elijah? The angel said. He's going to go in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Would he have ever thought that he would be one that would lead people back to God? Yeah, he'll perform the priestly duties, but, but this? Do your doubts, do your low expectations, keep you from seeing what all God can do and wants to do. And so, there was silence. And in that silence, Zacharias learned to trust. Because we need to recognize something for just a moment here. right? We know how the story ends. We know that he finally gets his voice back. But did you ever think that when the angel told him that, that there's, Zacharias had no guarantees of when, of when, of how long he was going to be quiet. The angel said, until these things come to pass. Well, what things? Well, he told him several things. He told him, your wife's going to become pregnant. Okay. She's going to have a son. Okay, that's, that's at least nine months off. You'll name him John. He will turn people back to God. Oh, that probably won't happen until he's grown up. He will go before the Lord. That probably won't happen until he's a man and has entered into the priesthood in some way. Do you realize that, that Zacharias, in his mind, may be thinking, I may never talk again. I may never get to have that conversation with my son about God's great feats. I may never get to call him inside from playing. We may never be able to sit down and pray together. He gets no guarantees here. None. You will be mute until these things come to pass. Then we read in verse 4, After these days Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. Silence. Well, it wasn't that one. Check that one off the list. We turn over and look at verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Silence. That wasn't it. Oh, it, it, you know, it, it may be till he's grown. It may be that long. But then there's confusion, there's conflict. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened on the eighth day. So the baby's eight days old. He's still silent for eight days. When the time came to circumcise the child, and they... The family and the neighbors were going to call him Zacharias after his father. Common thing to do in those days. But his mother said, no, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said, there's no one among your relatives who's called by his name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. Right? You can see the crowd. Poor woman. Her husband's been mute for nine months and she's lost. She's gone off the edge. John, 
There aren't even any priests in the long line of priests named John. Where'd that name come from? She's crazy. Someone get him something to write with so he can straighten her out, right? So they give him a tablet and he writes, His name is John. And his mouth is opened. And he speaks. Why that sign? Why is that the one that they waited for? I think it's because it's the only one of those five things that we mentioned that allows Zacharias to show that he believed, that he trusted. Elizabeth getting pregnant, that's God's doing for someone their age. Giving birth to a son, that's God's choice. The boy leading people back to God, that's God's doing and, and the boy's doing, not Zacharias' doing. Going before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, that's nothing Zacharias has anything to do with. But naming the son in the midst of pressure from family and friends. How many know what it's like to be pressured by your family? <laughs> Anybody know that? Anybody know the, the, the angst you feel when you're going against something that that's the way you've always done it? You're going against culture and family and tradition. And you say, no, we're going to do it this way. See, that's the only decision that Zacharias could make in all of these things where he showed trust. At some point in time between doubting and now, he made up his mind, maybe because God had intervened and done the miraculous I'm going to trust Him even if it costs me. And that simple written statement on a tablet, His name is John, revealed that not only did he, had he learned to trust God in His silence, but I think that he believed what would come next. For he then, he then breaks into, I don't think there was music, but song, poetry, Prophecy of what would come. And it's not just about his son any longer. It's about someone else. In fact, it's, it's the message of Christmas. It's the meaning of Christmas that we talked about at the beginning. Notice carefully the first part. God intervenes in the lives of men. Look at verse 68. Zechariah said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished redemption for us. It's not just that God showed up. He intervened. We needed intervention. We needed redemption. And Zechariah says, He's done that for us. He's intervened. The next part of the message of Christmas, according to His promises. Look at verse 70. As He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old. Zacharias knew and remembered and is now living in the fulfillment of the promises from long ago. For the purpose of blessing the nations, look at verses 71 to 73. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to Abraham our father. And you may say, 
Well, what does it have to do with the nations? He's talking about his own people. But we have to remember what oath he swore to Abraham. Turn back with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 15. Abraham had obeyed God and had been willing to offer up his son, the promised child, as a sacrifice. And we read in Genesis twenty-two fifteen these words. Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And your seed, all the nations of the earth, shall be blessed. A repetition of that first promise God made to Abraham in chapter 12, where he said, I'm going to bless you for the purpose of you and your family being a blessing to the nations. And Zacharias stands in now a long line of prophets announcing that promise that God is going to intervene in the lives of men for the purpose of blessing the nations. And so I need to go back to that first question this morning. Are you a part of that story? Not just do you know the story, but are you a part of that story? Are you willing to get in line behind Zacharias and proclaim, here's the message that we need to know? And your, your part may not be going to the nations. Your part may be just, are you willing to open your mouth to someone next to you, a family member, a friend, a co-worker? And share with them the hope of this message that God is still up to something. I love Christmas and the things of Christmas, the things that we do, lights, decorations. They remind me of, of God's intervention. We, we decorate our tree, we hang ornaments, and we've gotten ornaments from lots of people and family members over the years, and, and I've gotten ornaments from, from students, and hang those and love to think about those people, the encouragement they've been to me. It's just a, it's a fun time of remembering that God has used multiple people in my life to help me in my walk with God. Come down in the morning and, and living room is dark and you can plug in the tree. And it's a reminder that even in the, the darkness of the world, there's light. I love Christmas for those reasons. It reminds me that God is good, that He's active, that He's involved in my life and in your life. And so the question that we have to answer this morning, will you be a part of the meaning of Christmas? Will you share the message of Christmas with someone this week? Maybe it's a family member, just as a word of encouragement. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone who doesn't know God and you help them see the Christmas is not really just what they see. 
that we do in America, but it's something else, something bigger, something that's been going on and will continue to go on until Christ returns. Will you be a part of the message of Christmas? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that um, you promised long ago that you would come and rescue us from our sin. And then despite our confusion and wondering and, and low expectations, you surpassed all of those by coming yourself and dying for us. By taking on the punishment that we deserved, that we might have your righteousness. And so we praise you, God. We love you. We thank you. And Father, we ask that you would help us this week through the power of your Holy Spirit to transform us, to remind us that we are still part of a, a great story that is ongoing and will be ongoing until you return. Until that day when people from every tribe and nation and tongue and language stand before your throne and proclaim hallelujahs to you. So God, through your Spirit, encourage us and continue to make us aware that you are up to something, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.